a podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Yeah, buddy. Welcome to the Tropical MBA Podcast. I'm calling the boss man. How you doing, boss man? All the way in Europe. What's going on over there? Doing well. Yeah, I just I just couldn't get enough, man. Had to come back here again this year. Actually, here for a microconf, and you're going to be joining me soon here. So yeah. getting ready to do Prague microconf. I'll tell you what, man. Uh, we both were talking about before the call. This week has actually absolutely been just scheduled out for us. And I don't know. It's kind of an interesting concept of when every hour in your week is sort of accounted for by either a deliverable or a meeting or a phone call. On the one hand, it's terrifying. But on the other hand, it kind of helps you to raise your level. It, you kind of imagine yeah, I, like how Donald Trump might spend a day or something. Like he's just going, going, going. Yeah, it keeps me out of trouble. I'd say that <laughs> that's the truth. But it also, uh, you know, so we, we had actually scheduled to do this uh, talk a little bit earlier in the day, and uh, the guy's doing construction here in my apartment complex, cut the internet wire. So when things like that happen, it kind of throws you for a loop, and then, and then I missed two calls. Yeah, but and here we are. And uh, unfortunately, you missed the interview today with Jimmy and Doug. I actually pulled him into the apartment here in Saigon, and I know you were actually on a conference call with them just before the, the interview, <laughs> talking about production strategy and whatnot. So uh, this is a really cool one, Ian. Of course, Jimmy and Doug were big fans of theirs. They've built a brilliant bag, which we both use, and they raised over six figures in just a few days on Kickstarter. So uh, what do you say we get down to that story? Yeah, I just want to be clear what I was talking with Jimmy and Doug about before you guys did the interview. My exact words for them to them were, are you sure you want to go through with this? <laughs> <laughs> so that was, that was the basis of the conversation. But uh, I, I think that they do. But, you know, this is just coming from us, right, who, who we've been running this product design and development company for the last six years. Yeah. Uh, a lot of your money gets sucked back into inventory. In, in everything else that's associated with doing hard goods. So, so my line to Jimmy and Doug, are you guys sure that you want to do this? And it's so cool, like given all their success they've had recently, that they are just as dedicated and as nose to the grindstone as ever. And I think you're going to hear that seriousness and attention to detail in the following interview. So we'll roll it now. How do you raise $100,000 in 100 hours? Well, we've got two guys who've done it Welcome to the show, Jimmy and Doug. It's great to have you on this side of the mic or this side of the earbuds or however you want to say it. Congratulations. Can I just say that? So Thank you. Thank you I think we should drop the applause effect here. Is that worth it? Agreed, yeah. So what's it? We're up to $120,000 of funding on Kickstarter for the Manal bag. This is the bag I've been traveling with and raving with. You guys are the guys who've made it. And today we're going to do two things. We're going to talk about the story. John Meyer, Kaiser So said just the other day was saying, John Myers rather, was saying... A lot of people are going to look at you guys and think, oh, they went down to the factory, they put up a fancy Kickstarter page, and they got 120000 You guys are on the, what, fourth day of your campaign? So uh, we're, we're closing in on a week now. So. so I'm catching you in the middle of all this. Yeah. Uh, you still, so if people want to get the bag, they can still go to the Kickstarter campaign and check it out and all that. What's your goal now? What's your stretch goal? Because you said thirty grand, and now you got one hundred and twenty grand. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of... Uh 
carrying on as, we, as we've been carrying on. Uh, I mean, there's, there's two questions there is what are, we, what are we focusing on now and do we have stretch goals? And, and, <laughs> and stretch goals are a, a whole different thing in terms of the Kickstarter mm-hmm. infrastructure. And so we've got a lot of thoughts on those. But in terms of what we're up to day to day, it's really, it really is just trying to contain the fire hose right now and, and catch up with what people have been throwing at us, a lot of questions, a lot of messages. So let's take away this idea of the overnight success real quick. Let's dispel that by taking a step back and talking about how you got to where you are. I wrote down this uh, Sun Tzu quote. It's really famous. It says, the general who wins the battle makes many calculations before the battle is even fought. And I remember, I didn't say it, but we had dinner a few days before, and I remember thinking, these guys are going to nail this. Like, they're going to, they're going to, and it, it happened. You must have felt it too, like you were sort of on the right ship, right? Yeah, we, I mean, we, we had, had a good feeling about how things were going to go, but until you, I mean, there's this, this sort of audience out there that you, you don't know them yet. You've, you've heard of people who have, you know, sort of committed themselves to, to jumping on the Kickstarter and supporting you, but there's this whole other audience out there that you just haven't really touched yet, so... You just don't know how it's how it's going to go. And, and we, I mean, we knew how much work we'd put in, but that's never like a perfect uh, measure of of how your success is going to roll out, right? So, I mean, right up until the time we pressed the launch button, we were making plans for you know what would what would we do if we were struggling to raise that thirty grand. Mm-hmm. So, while we felt good about it, it was still a case of. What are we going to do if everything goes to goes to custard? All right. So, how long ago did you know you were going to do the bag, and how long ago did you know you were going to do the Kickstarter? Tell me where both of these ideas germinated. Well, the the ideas for the bag came from just you know years of of being on the road and the, and the associated frustrations of just not having and, and not being able to see anything out there that that was solving the problems that that we had. And the idea here is I don't we haven't even mentioned it. This is the ideal digital nomad traveling bag. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean uh, the the way we say it is uh that we want to get you to your destination faster, happier and more productive. And obviously those things are you know p- digital nomads who are traveling a lot, who are carrying electronics, those sort of things, who are going through airport security a lot. Those are things that people care about. So. And so how do you get this so you you have these frustrations you guys have jobs at the time. What gave you the idea that, hey, we could actually be guys who make bags? It's kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah, probably we were just we're crazy. <laughs> probably deluded, yeah. Both crazy and deluded at various points. I met Jimmy at the Tropical MBA seminars. He shows up and says, my business partner still has a job. I convinced him to send me here. And I'm like, that's he doesn't know what we're doing here, obviously. No, no, to, yeah, yeah he, was, he was none the wiser. No, to be fair, I mean, it was almost, Doug, that, that was the driving force behind that. I mean, I'd gone full-time on the company, on the, on the idea, really, and the idea of the company, that is. So Doug was the one that said, I think this is going to be valuable. I think we should drop some money on, on establishing a beachhead, you know, with people who know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So because, yeah, we came from not, you know, we didn't come from a product design background and we didn't necessarily come from, from a, um, an, an entrepreneurial community background either. We worked jobs that weren't associated with selling travel gear. So, you know, I think Doug could probably explain it better than I can, but I ended up turning up there because we both had a thought that it was worth engaging with a community. You have this, this is a consistent theme throughout the last year for you guys. You went to the Kickstarter head offices. You went to World Domination Summit. 
I think that's so fascinating about what you did. It's almost like the relationships first approach. Was that a plan or was that just how you guys roll? Just friendly dudes? Or were you guys like, no, no, we absolutely need to, to know all these people? Well, I think it's a case of us, um, regardless of whether we are making travel gear, these are the sort of people that we want to be hanging out with. And these are the sort of events they go to. So so I guess, yeah, it was kind of an easy, if, if, we, if we thought that we could somehow work it into whatever schedule we were, we were trying to pull off, these are the places that we, we wanted to make sure we, we were. I think this is how I like to roll. Like, you can't hang around with a bunch of people who have jobs, who don't travel, who don't use this gear, and expect to somehow change your life because of it. Now, yeah. it's so interesting to see, like, from jobs, what, a year and a half, two years ago, to now 120K cool and running and production and in business. Yeah, I mean, I think one of our kind of guiding light phrases was being there. And that applied from, you know, from when we were still working jobs and we would, especially, you know, for me working jobs in film, I had six months contracts, for instance, and then I would just, I would have a bit of time to then head off overseas and do some sourcing or whatever. And and occasionally Doug and I would do that together. So it started then and then it continued with going to Tropical NBA engaging with the dynamite circle was there a light bulb moment for you in terms of relationships like you were mentioning chris ducker mentioned something to you was there was that the light bulb moment or i think there's lots of light bulb moments throughout the process Mm -hmm. and and the thing that's kept it consistent is the being there approach so um so after that you know engaging with the dynamite circle community where we really found our home then those guys love you Everybody well, in the dynamite. We love them. <laughs> it's mutual. Yeah. If that's true, it's mutual, yeah. But then, you know, our idea was to to head to North America because we thought that was a key market. And we, you know, the bag was a convenient excuse to travel around the States and, and Canada and say say hello to a lot of people who we liked hanging out with, you know. So And it's all product testing, right? Yeah. It's all, it's all product, product testing. testing. And yeah, this travel. That's such a such an onerous thing to have to <laughs> travel around test. <laughs> I just love this idea of, of the way that you guys leverage relationships as being a way to change your life. You said being there, being there at the factory. A lot of people, they quit their jobs and they run off to southern Thailand to drink Mai Tais. I love how you guys quit your jobs and sit in sooty southern Saigon in a hot freaking factory because that's the future. And why not be there where the action is? And I think that's a really cool way to leverage this location independent stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the key thing with that specifically is that we had heard from, from the community, like, what issues they had had and, you know, the people involved in manufacturing talking about the difficulties of doing things from distance, the difficulties of, of ensuring that, you know, whether it's, whether it's quality assurance on the products or whether it's uh, ethical working conditions, mm-hmm. we knew that the only way to be sure about any of that stuff was to be there. And, and yeah, like you say, I mean, we, we came over here because we're lucky enough to, to not be, t- you know, tied to one place. And I think it was not only the right move, but it also taught us a lot throughout the entire thing. If, if we, you know, I often say to Doug, like if we had stayed at home, and he agrees, obviously. Uh, <laughs> well, we'll see what you're about yeah, to say. If, yeah, sure. if we had sat at home back in New Zealand, I mean, of all places, like so far away from anywhere, if we had sat there and sent emails trying to launch our business, yes. it, it doesn't happen. Well, and, and behind this conversation, there's been countless conversations. I know you guys have been on the phone with so many community members. Are like, I just got off the phone with Doug and Jimmy. And I'm like, you too? <laughs> uh, you know, Alyssa has been working with you guys, and she's in love with what you're doing. Ian is in love with what you guys are doing, and he's been helping you and myself as well, countless sessions of us sitting around 
looking at the bag. And I think it's been so great that you guys came here to Saigon, to be honest, because there's 25 entrepreneurs that have been giving you hell about this bag for six months. We love it. <laughs> yeah. We love it. Yeah, and you guys have been again. great about listening to them. We, we have particular tastes. So I want to talk about two things. I want to get to the Kickstarter stuff because you guys have exceptional knowledge about how this Kickstarter stuff goes. You guys did excellent research. That was the battle and the, uh, the pre-planning stuff. But first... You guys went from zero on the bag stuff and on the shirt stuff, and now you have a line of shirts, and you have a bag. This bag, it's, it's a weird, like, uh, forgive my naivete, but I saw you guys as guys who didn't design bags, and then last month I got a bag that looked like something I would see on the shelves of any outdoor retailer. So there's a lot of people... Better better than you'd see on the shelves of any outdoor retailer. It's incredible. It really is. So (laughs) a lot of people in our audience are saying, hey, I've got a great idea. So, or I know how I can improve something that exists. How do you go from zero to manufacturing in less than a year? So, and Doug may have something to add to this, but my initial reaction is to say, if you don't know about something, the only thing you can do is make sure you surround yourselves with the right people and that is people who know what they're talking about and ask the right questions and take all of the feedback on board. We don't have many skills as such, but in terms of, being able to find people and just say, hey, like, can we have 10 minutes of your time or can we have an hour of your time or do you want to work with us on this? Like, we're, we're pretty decent at doing that. And obviously that relies on amazing generosity and, and um, willingness to, to work with us on things and tell us what they don't, people don't like about the bag, for example. But I'm assuming that those people might include the manufacturers, right? Because when you don't have a bag concept, I mean, you can't, what do you do, sit down with a pen and paper? I'm serious. Do you, do you, do you have a design program or how do you do that? Well, that's, that's the beginning is, yeah, is just, just sketching things out. And I guess uh, it would be... I think it would be so much more difficult to do something like this if, if you weren't it, you didn't have intimate knowledge of what the problems were. You know, it's so it's years of years of dealing with other travel products. You know, and and the bag being just the the hub of your your lifestyle. You know, it's it's your house basically. So you know it intimately what works and, and what doesn't. So while you may not be a product designer, you kind of get a lot of that as a as a good starting point. So I think yeah, if if someone's wanting to launch into into something like that and doesn't have the design background, they really want to, they want to know the, the product intimately as a consumer, at, at least. Let's walk through an example. We could do an apparel, but I would like to use this microphone because I'm a podcaster. I've been doing podcasting for four years, and I know that this mic is good, but it's not good for travelers. I would love to make a mic like this that's good for travelers. And what's interesting is, like, I don't know how these microphones work. And I'm assuming that you guys didn't know how backpacks worked, but it's interesting to see your Kickstarter video. You're, t- you're using all these advanced terminology, like you guys have been to the, the backpack moon and back. Um, <laughs> so, so I don't think there's any, there's any way to get around that, right? You have to know every, you have to start pulling this stuff apart and figuring out what's going on. So how do you do that? I mean, there's no books online about how to make a podcasting microphone. There's no, well, there may be. Have you searched one? <laughs> Um, no, you're right, and and it's and it's hard to distill down into a, a soundbite. I mean, we. This just... is a long form conversation. <laughs> I'm not looking for soundbites. No, I, I guess it's. Do you fly to the manufacturer and knock on their door and convince them to have a coffee with you? I mean, is that the next step, or is it to find some kind of product design? I think there would be a lot, yeah, a lot of steps before that. I think it would be get out on the net, find out every type of podcast microphone there is. Um, you know, get a few of them, buy them, play all. with them. Might be buy them all. Might you might you might get enough just by playing with them for a, you know. And you know the the, the, the thing about microphones. You guys know every single backpack 
on the marketplace, every single one. You have a comprehensive knowledge about this marketplace happened in a year or two. And sometimes information marketers can get away from this, right? Like, because information lets you sort of sneak around. If you're just a travel blogger, you don't have to be the best one. You don't have to know all the travel blogs. I'm not so sure that's the case. And I think one of the interesting things about you guys starting with products is I see a lot of parallels from what we did is that it forces you, like you just can't have a subpar bag. It's gonna get torn right. apart. Yeah. Right? And, that, and, that, and on that note, I think something that microphones and bags would share is that they more than likely both have a really passionate niche of people, especially online, that are going to be sitting around talking about them, right? Right. So there would, I would be willing to put money on the fact that there is a forum out there where people talk about microphones, what's good about them, what's bad about them, like down to the most amazing detail. And so my first step, if I was going to do a, a microphone, would be to find those forums and start talking to people like, what do you like about these mics? Why not? You know, what don't you like? Why not? Who makes these microphones? Where's their factories? You know, and these people will know that stuff. Yes. This is brilliant, too, because this is what a lot of product designers resist because they want to protect their ideas. Whereas what you guys did that was beautiful is you let everyone take a crap on your idea, including myself, multiple times. And it was awesome. You guys, t like we were saying, like, let everybody blow chunks on you and you make sausage. You spice it, you make a sausage, you sell it back to them. You don't have to know everything. You just have to be willing to get beat up a little bit. Yeah, that's and, right. and, and that's what... For the vast majority of people, they'll see this Kickstarter campaign with a bag that, that we're happy with and that people who have tested it are happy with, and they won't see the many iterations that came before. And, right. and you know, it doesn't just pop out of us fully formed <laughs> like anything, right? And, and like you say, there are, there are a lot of times where, man, we, you know, we would bring something back from the factory thinking we'd totally nailed a certain feature, and then you and six other people would sit around saying, nah. <laughs> no, 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 it's, it looks cheap, you know, whatever it is. All right, um, so I've got a napkin, I've got an idea, I'm hanging out in the forums. I kind of know what I want to do. I want to create the blue Yeti, but I want to have a fold-down lightweight holder. I want to add another audio option to it, and I want to make it thinner. I don't care how it looks, in other words. I want it to travel light. So how do I find a manufacturer? What's my next step? How would you guys suggest somebody go look for manufacturers? Well, I wouldn't, yeah, that, that wouldn't be my my first step there I would, I would just yeah, get online and just put myself in a vortex for a few days work out what are these what are these things made of where do, where does the stuff come from just try and figure out you know every part of it and and then start thinking uh, well potentially which which parts of these if, if we're trying to get a lightweight one for travel what can we what what is crucial to the the sound quality that that comes out of it and what could we potentially replace with something. So in other words, like just going to where they're already manufactured might be the wrong move. Yeah. Because I think with something like that, if, if you just go down that path, you're kind of giving away one of your advantages and that you're, you're coming to something like this fresh. You, you don't have that, you don't have those kind of, the things in the industry which, which keep everyone going down a, a similar path. You, mm -hmm. can, you can bring your, your fresh eye to it and think, well, what, you know, why? Why do they use, why do they use that material? Why, why can't we use fabric right. and then you know you'll test that and find out probably why you can't use fabric <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we, found that out, that. we found that out a lot of times we would say why and then there would be a very good reason why but right. for the five percent of times or whatever it is that you say why and there's no good reason then you can start innovating 
Right. Well, one of the innovations that now is happening in the marketplace, but with the whole clamshell design, there was no good reason why no one was doing that, except maybe the reason served them and not the marketplace. So that can be one reason why people don't do things. Maybe they want their cars to break down after five years. You know, maybe they're not serving their users first. Maybe everyone that designed this product isn't a freaking Einsteinian genius, right? Like, that's the other thing you notice, too, is like, you think that because it's a physical product and because it's on the shelf at, at, at a store in the mall that somehow a genius designed it. It's just a person like you. And maybe they don't travel. Or maybe they don't actually care about audio quality. Or maybe they don't podcast. Maybe they care about guitar sound or whatever. And you start to see the matrix then when you get there. It's yeah. kind of interesting. Yeah, and I think a passion for whatever you're making can only be a good thing. I guess it could, well, I'll take that back immediately and say it could be a bad thing if it blinds you to good feedback. Yeah. So obviously you need to be passionate in terms of getting through the, the hard days and pushing it all, all through to the end, but you've still got to be able to just shut the hell up when somebody's telling you what they think of, of your idea. Right. And, and the passion then comes back in when you go back and sit in your room and say, okay, I've got to take all this feedback on board. Some of it's not positive. What am I? What am I going to do about it? And that's when you when you move on. So you guys were very much in these vortexes. You were posting case studies in the DC. You were sharing, you know, doing AMAs. You, you know, you were sharing everything. Every prototype picture. You were calling people constantly. It was fabulous to watch the story. Part of that story then comes to the Kickstarter. Did you know all along that this was always going to be a Kickstarter company? And how did you make that decision? Once, uh, yeah, I think it was once we encountered the the industry reality of if you want to make something good you're going to have to do a, a pretty decent minimum order right so, so as soon as not- we as soon as we hit huge numbers it's like well okay we're you know we've market validated to 10 people we need to do a bit more market validation before we say okay let's chuck however many dollars at this another parallel between your and ian and i's business is, is, is what's interesting is that you know we both dropped a toyota land cruiser for our first you know, we're, it's, it's a big nut, right? Mm. And the interesting thing about Kickstarter is that how much equity did you give to Kickstarter? That's zero. Yeah. <laughs> That's the null set. <laughs> was that a trick question? <laughs> <laughs> I, think I was th- like, did we give equity to Kickstarter? <laughs> this, this is an incredible opportunity by creating a narrative that people want to be a part of by doing Kickstarter right, in quotes, we're going to talk about that, and by actually giving a lot of value to, to these the users of the Kickstarter community, the people in your tribes, you got to fund a whole company for nothing. Ian and I had to give away equity for that mm. and, and get hamstrung by loans. So I think this is absolutely fabulous. Yeah, it's a, it's a real game changer for, for people who can, can do it well. All right, so you see a lot of Kickstarter campaigns out there over 60% fail or something like that, or 60% fail? Yeah, for, so 44% are successful. So Okay, so let's talk about what people do wrong. On Kickstarter, can you guys give me some bullet points of how people you see out there? I know you guys are experts at this now. You see it. I'm going to put Doug on the spot by taking the easy one first. Uh, the the biggest thing I think that people don't do is, and this is what everyone told us. You know, people who had been through Kickstarter before us, who we who we called up, said, "Hey, by the way, the biggest thing is organize your press and your outreach before you launch. If you're on day." three and you're like oh okay man i'm gonna like tell some press about this and like try and find my community that's gonna care too late right so i mean this from when we started this whole thing we, we were thinking about okay how are we going to build momentum for it so on launch day you know you have that momentum not only to get so what clear- does press and outreach mean for an upstart little company you had great photos you had a lot of testimonials you, you had, had beta users yeah how important were the beta users to your to your outreach i mean can 
why would any magazine care about you guys? How do you let make them care? It's it's more about finding the niche outlets that have a passionate community that I talked about before. So we're lucky with bags that there's a whole subset of, of the media and of, of just people out there who really, really care about this. And they're always looking for, for the new product, the, the great new product that they think, you know, might be the one that they can settle on because people really care about this stuff, you know. And so we're, we're in a lot of ways very lucky because there's this extremely passionate niche out there who are just waiting for us to come along and say, hey, by the way, look at our cool new bag. There's a way in which you did it, um, I think, that it wasn't selfish. It was like, we need you on board. You did need the funding. And the, I think the offer that you were giving to give an actual bag at less than retail price was so compelling that it didn't look like you guys were just going on there trying to make a money grab, which it absolutely wasn't. Like this money is going, everybody that supports the thing gets a bag unless they want to do a high five or whatever, which is cool too. That's cool. But I think that that's a key part of it as well. You know, that it's like something that you can be a part of. Like it was so cool to see in the DC where like every $10,000 that you guys got, it was like a status update. You know, it was like we're watching this on TV unfold or watching this cool story of this product coming to life. Um, I think that's an essential part of these things is like you have to get people on your side. It's probably worth saying how lucky we feel every day to be part of of this community or this movement or whatever it is. And that that applies to both the Dynamite Circle and people out there who care about bags. We're so we're so lucky that that exists and that we're at a time in history where that's possible. And in saying that, though, it all started with the decision to come to Tropical MBA, you know, or or. Even before that, the decision to, for me to go full-time and just move to Asia. So, the, yeah, the principle, it doesn't have to anything to do with Tropical MBA, of course. It has to do with, I'm getting behind this idea. I'm going to get myself in the room. As we call it getting to the table. Here we are at the table. You know, it's like, it's really tough to do things when you're away from the table. That's it. It's like, uh, people look at you like you're a little bit crazy. Because if you're going down to your garage on Saturday morning to design your bag, maybe not the best thing. Like, especially given now the opportunity nowadays where there's garages where 10 people hang out and design bags. And they're called, well, freaking Saigon for the last six months, but uh, <laughs> yeah. or wherever. Go where your people are, in other words. I think that that, again, is a theme I'm seeing is building a business where what we're seeing is that the importance of cash and capital is going down. So the, the real advantage is, is with this mobility is like, well, why don't you locate yourself somewhere important? You were saying yourself, a lot of these big bag manufacturers, their delegations come to the factory for less than a week every year or whatever. That's absurd. Why won't you let those employees be location independent and hang out at the supplier so they can understand the nuances of what's going on? Yeah, and I think I think the the way that business is being done is shifting faster than big institutions can adapt. Right. right? I mean, that's a common theme throughout pretty much every market. That's a quotable. Thank you, sir. Um, <laughs> but but really, I mean, we we see it in the bag industry, just like we, or the travel gear industry, just like we see it in every other industry, and. And there are people out there, there are, there are companies out there making great stuff, but due to their size, due to how entrenched they are, due to the way they operate, it's just not possible to, to move as fast as we can move and leverage the new way of doing business like we are. What is Kickstarter for? What is Kickstarter? We can talk more specifically about Kickstarter and crowdsourcing, but you know, can I use it? I look at you guys make, you know, launch a product on there, it's great. Is it for established businesses or, you know, is it just for products? How do you see that ecosystem? You guys have just been buried in it. I think, I mean, in a sense, it's, there, there are a lot of rules that come around, particularly with Kickstarter. You know, if you go to one of the, you know, Indiegogo or one of the other ones, it's a bit more flexible. It's, it's really got to be something that's a, 
a semi-self-contained project. You know, the, the money that comes in for the project is to be spent on the project and not not anything outside. So, so I guess it, it could potentially be be something that an established business is, is wanting to go in a slightly different area. Or I'm I'm, su- I'm surprised that that big companies haven't done it yet. I mean, we're seeing we're seeing VC-backed startups get on there mm-hmm. and market validate, and and that's happened relatively recently. But I'm surprised we haven't seen big brand names on there doing this. Is this a market validation tool? Is this a funding tool? Or is this an e-commerce site? I think it's the first two. They're very careful, you know, Kickstarter have kind of issued statements that Kickstarter is not a store, right? But, and but, what does that mean? So there shouldn't be an expectation that when you pay X amount of dollars for, for this tier that you will get this thing, you know, this product. is. You, you have just purchased this product and you'll be getting it in... X amount of time. So how do you see that distinction? Because very much when I funded your backpack, I was very excited that I'm going to get one. So how's that different from so, being a store? I, I mean, I guess it's a it's just the scale of the whole site. I mean, it's not just product design. We're in the product design category. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's a relatively small part of the the entire site. The way Kickstarter describes itself is a, a, a way to fund creative projects. And so, obviously, product design is only one type of creative project. And I was just looking at the numbers before. Product design has just under 2,000 successfully funded projects. That's at, like, seventh on the list. And the top one is music. So people who want to say, I want to spend six months in the recording studio, if you want to hear that album, give me money. Exactly. So media, media generally focuses on product design for whatever reason. There is so much going on on Kickstarter that doesn't get reported on so much that that forms a much bigger part of that that ecosystem so it's i guess that's where kickstarter were coming from with that blog post this is not a store it's it really is you know there are a lot of people out there funding dance shows that they're never going to go to because they really like the concept they they believe in the narrative and they want it to exist in the world exactly and i mean we just we just funded one i think just before we launched uh, like a little they were asking for seven hundred dollars for a little uh, like street side library in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and I was like, "That is cool, yeah, let's give them a few dollars," you know. And and so there's a whole bunch of that. And, and while it is possible to to launch a product and do all those things, like it's not a limiting factor. You can any creative project that's that's self-contained, you can get on there. So what's next for you guys? Are you going to continue to use Kickstarter? Is that feasible? For you to continue to go back and, and do these things, or are you guys going to have to put up an e-commerce store and fare like the rest of us? I think that's I think it's a bit of an unknown for us at the moment. Yeah, there's lots of lots of discussion to be had. So we've guess what we're we're a week into the the carnage now. <laughs> yeah, still, yeah, we're only a week in, Dan. Give us a break. Off, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean we're we're definitely in in this for the for the long haul. So if it if it makes sense to um, be repeat Kickstarter users for the for the products that are coming to market later on, then then we'd give it a and it, and a that look. is happening as well. I mean, now we're starting to get to the point in Kickstarter's evolution where people who have you know raised three hundred thousand dollars on a bike bell are coming back and saying, "Hey, we've got a slightly better bike bell. Let's launch it." And they go on Kickstarter again. I see. And they have that pre-built-in audience. So, I mean, it, it is a viable option, obviously. Whether it works for us is something we haven't worked out yet. We'll definitely be selling in between any Kickstarters we do. We'll have our own website. We'll be selling online. But it is, yeah, it's not just a, like a one-shot thing. Let's do this. Let's add a coda. We've gotten some tactics and tricks and strategies out of the way. I'm curious a little bit about psychology because you guys, 
have just demonstrated an incredible amount of professionalism and attention to detail over the past year, which is impressive. And I think that absolutely, you have to be a master of your craft if you're going to make big things happen. But there's also been a lot of sort of risk-taking. Like you guys have quit good jobs, good careers, or at least Doug did. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I drove ice cream trucks for a while, so. You know, but there was no certainty in any of this. I remember hanging out on the beach with you, Jimmy. Uh, You know, at the time it was going to be a shirt. How do you look back on this as a retrospective now, kind of thinking you got a little bit of breathing room for the first time in a long time? I mean, you're not going to take it as breathing room, but it's nice to have it if you need it. You're going to nose the grindstone and all that. But psychologically, for people in the audience thinking, man, I'd like to maybe go after my product idea. And maybe I'd like to to go to the factory, too, and and live off of nothing. You guys... You guys are very good at budgeting and keeping it tight because that's your oxygen. Keep the business alive. That's the first priority. How do you guys face this uncertainty with such coolness as you do? (laughs) Whether things are being successful kind of product-wise or anything else, we're kind of living the lifestyle that we enjoy. You know, we're we're hanging out with smart people in kind of exotic places. We, neither of us need to maintain a, you know, what, what would be considered by most a, a high standard of living at the moment. You know, we, we're happy to sleep sort of wherever or that's kind of, I don't know, that, that's kind of, I think, exciting to us. Whether, whether we'll still be like that when we're 85 years old, I'm, I'm not sure, but I mean, I, I certainly hope so. I hope we never lose touch with those, those kind of travelling routes of just... Sleeping on the floor, man. Sleeping on the floor. You guys did a lot of that in America. When when you were working the high-class job, Doug, did you yearn for the road or a more scrappier existence? Were you disillusioned by it? Well, I think, I I don't know if I ever left that that scrappy existence, sort of no matter what what job I was doing at the time. The the guy knows how to live cheap no matter what. Let's (laughs) let's be honest. I was was impressed by how much you were spending here in Saigon, by the way. I was like, wow, that guy's not going out for ice cream very much. (laughs) Smoothie a day, man. Smoothie a day. So, I, I mean, I just think that we're really lucky in, in a sense because we, yeah, we have nothing to tie us to New Zealand, for instance. I mean, our families are there and obviously we want to get back and see them and our friends, but we don't have a mortgage. We don't have kids, you know, so we, we are coming from a very lucky position. And that's not to say you can't do it if you have a wife and kids or a you know, husband and kids or mortgage or whatever it is, but, but it did make that first step a lot less traumatic psychologically mm-hmm. and beyond that like Doug says it's a it's a pretty enjoyable life to live and and we love it and it's one of those things where a lot of the time you look back and think well we could have done this a lot faster and with a lot less heartache and and frustration but in the end we're here where we are today so would I change anything no because that's got us here like if we had done something faster or more efficiently maybe we wouldn't have learnt the lesson that got us to this point so I find it very hard to have regrets or that w- wish that anything was different was there a moment for you guys when you thought this is going to work about like- six hours into the Kickstarter <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't until the Kickstarter that I mean that you guys knew that all right we're going to be entrepreneurs we're going to make products for people was there a moment before that, or did yeah, it take- I think I think I think there was a moment somewhere before that, but that that was just the the sort of numbers on the screen validation. Could I pinpoint it to when the first when people saw you know the the even the early prototypes and you know talking to people who we we talked to a lot of people who will will give us straight up you know sort of sort of no bullshit and and when those sort of people are genuinely interested in the product and think it has potential, you know you start to. 
Let's disassociate your guys' skill set just one second. More coda, more psychological drama here. Yeah. The product, the idea from the skill set or the way, like the, mm-hmm. the ways in which you guys approach business and life now. Say, uh, you, you know, we got rid of the Kickstarter and we got rid of all your products and said, all right, look, you can't make travel products for people. You got to start from scratch. Would you feel confident about that? Or would you feel differently about that now? Were you always confident about your ability to make it happen? You know what I'm saying? Can you disassociate your success from the product success? Could you just start fresh on a on an information business or on a consulting business and make it happen too? I think so. Obviously, I'd be asking some really tough questions about why can't we make travel products. <laughs> <laughs> but once we'd gotten past that and it was a no-go, if the, you know, the travel industry had just disappeared into a hole somewhere, um, yeah, I, I, think, I think we could. I think we could pick up in, in something else. And, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's all hypothetical, right? But... But there are lessons that we've learned, you know, inevitably you learn lessons, especially when you don't know anything going in, because it forces you to undergo that whole process of like, well, we've got this crazy idea, now let's, you know, work on finding someone to help us with it, let's find people to test it on, let's find, you know, step after step. And so finding the community and, and iterating products, I mean, you know, it's Lean Startup, right? It's, and in a lot of ways, we, we took influence from Lean Startup. And so it's not like it's a, a travel gear specific thing um, right. to, be, to be finding a community and iterating a product. It's nothing that we have done in particular because we're brilliant because we're not. That is brilliant. Thank you. The last two episodes, you know, having you guys on and Michael Covell, the two, two themes that come up a lot is, you know, looking at the people who are doing what it is you want to be doing and just gunning straight for it. And yep. there's, there's, a sub, there's a subway stop from, from you to them and that's it, and get everything else out of the way. And um, I see a lot of effectiveness in that approach. You know, get your, here we are at the table, at the, you know, the quite literal table, and it's a pleasure to have you here, and I hope that you'll come back to the table in a few months' time to share with us what you guys are going to do with this thing. So uh, congratulations on the fabulous Kickstarter. If people want to see what Jimmy and Doug has done, this is tropicalmba.com slash crowdsourcing. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.